Okay, so we did see the baptism. So there's the hit and miss method of reading the Bible. You done that? I have too. And you know, that's when God spoke to me and I actually was converted. I knew the Bible pretty well, so I said, God, speak to me. And I opened it up to Ezekiel 36 and God promised me that he'd give me a new heart. He'd take my heart of stone and give me a heart of flesh. Now, I haven't really done that method much since. I doubt that I've done it ever since, but I needed to that day. And then there's, of course, following a plan where you read the bit of the Bible, usually just a little bit, and there's a long bit about what someone says. You've done that bit with a little prayer at the end? I've done that too. And I do that now and then, mainly once a year. And of course, there's always reading like a scholar, doing the context, the geography, the history, the culture, understanding every word, the Hebrew, the Greek, the Aramaic, the Latin even at times. And sometimes if it's a theology book, you've got to even understand the German. Ah, the journey is to understand what it means. With the assumption, if I know, I will be changed. More about that later. And then, of course, there's just the plot away from the beginning to the end, cover to cover, the big story, trying to get an appreciation of where God is in the story, the place where the Psalms fit, the prophecies, the good proverbs, and anything else. And, of course, there's always the way you read it to proof text what you believe. So that this is what it says, so I'm right. And it doesn't matter whether it's in context or not. And of course, oh, I've been guilty of that one too, by the way. I've been guilty of all of these, and I still do some of them. And then there's when you get that good verse. It doesn't matter where it fits or what it is, but it's such a great verse that you've got to pass it on to someone if they're sick or if they're happy or celebrating, and you keep those good verses. Well, how do you read the Bible? Let's have a look at the cartoon here, see if we can get this one up, of how Jesus read it. This is what he said. The difference between me and you is you use scripture to determine what love means. I use love to determine what the scripture means. Great one, eh? So I'm going to look today at how does Jesus read the scriptures, or how did Jesus use the scriptures he had. Bear in mind, he only had what we call the older part of the testament. Now, I'm going to confess right up front that I've stolen my four headings from a man called Scott McKnight. So they're his headings, but I couldn't come up with anything better. And it would have been just trying to be smart. And they were pretty simple ones. And I think you might get with them. But here's our reading for today. And I think it would be good if I didn't read this, but you read it. Okay? At your pace. So I'll say one, two, three. You start reading it out loud. And I'll, I'm not even going to read it. I want you to read it. Here we go. One, two, three.
some pretty powerful words there. And it gives us a clue as to how Jesus handled the Old Testament or the older part of the Bible, which he calls, and Jews to this day still call, the law and the prophets. The law, the five books of Moses, the first five books of the Bible, and the prophets. And we call them historical books, but there's all of Joshua, Judges, Kings, Chronicles, and all the prophets, the law and the prophets, okay? So he says, don't think. Do not think. Don't think. Now, he was actually talking to his audience, not necessarily us, but we're included in the audience today. And he was telling his audience, you may have heard the gossip, you may have heard stuff about me, that I'm not orthodox, that I'm not really true to the Old Testament teaching, and that I'm telling you stuff that you've never heard before, and I'm a heretic. He said, don't think that. But... Don't think I've come to abolish the law. No, 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 no. I haven't come to abolish it. Or the prophets. I have not come to abolish, but to fulfill. Now, he's repeated that word abolish. I'm not doing away with it. I am fulfilling it. I am fulfilling it. So my first point is look to Jesus as its central story. That's the first thing he says. Jesus is center to this. Look at Jesus and you get it. So Jesus is there saying, I haven't come to abolish, I'm fulfilling it. And re- here it is, really plain and simple. He's saying, I've not come to abolish it, I'm not throwing it out, I'm not getting rid of everything that you hold sacred. No way. He says, here I am. Look at me. Jesus says, I am the center. I'm what it's all about. I'm its completion. I'm its fulfillment. All that was written about me in the law and the prophets, our sacred scriptures, is fulfilled in me. So this is what he's saying. I am the promise. I am the covenant. I am the king, a greater than David. I am the lawgiver, greater than Moses. I am the prophet, greater than Elijah. I am the temple. I am the priest. I am the sacrifice. I am the lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world. I am everything that has been written. I'm your rescuer. I am the new creation. Every longing and hope that you've ever imagined. Look, I am its completion. I am the hope of Israel and therefore the hope of your life and the hope of the world. Jesus says, read the Old Testament and look at me. Because it's all about me, it points to me, and here it is. The walking embodiment of the Old Testament. Uh, The interesting thing is, as we actually look at this, he then starts with his second point. Looking to Jesus means following him and through him the Torah. I'm using the Hebrew word Torah because that's the heading that uh, Scott McKnight had. So it really means the law. Looking to Jesus means following him, and through Jesus we follow the law. So in verse 18, he starts, For truly I tell you. So the last verse started with, don't think. And now he's saying, truly I say to you. This is the truth. 
okay? And we need truth tellers today more than ever. For truly I tell you, until heaven and earth disappear, not the smallest letter, not the little I on the dot of a, not the little dot on the top of an I, not even a stroke of a pen will by any means disappear from the law until everything has been accomplished. He's saying this because the danger is if we think Jesus is walking around as the embodiment of the law, as the fulfillment, as the completion, we can say, okay, I don't need it. Now, in our little book that we've been trying to promote that you read during this series, a simple read by Nicky Gumbel on the lifestyle of Jesus, he talks about a man called Marcion. Marcion was the son of a bishop who lived in the second century. So this goes right back to the earliest of church people. And Marcion didn't like the Old Testament, so he didn't use it. And if you don't like the Old Testament and don't use it, there's a lot of the New Testament that doesn't make sense. So he decided that Paul was his hero, so he kept 10 of the letters that Paul wrote. But he had to adapt some of them and change a bit around. And as for the Gospels, he only liked Luke. Others have done the same. Hitler did that for the church in Germany. He got rid of every mention of the Jew, word Jew. He promoted Jesus, but I think he forgot that Jesus was a Jew. <laughs> Anyhow, he got rid of a lot of it too. And he created his own scriptures. Now, we do that unintentionally or unconsciously when we refuse to read the Old Testament. When we don't make it part of our lifestyle or part of our reading. We don't intend to get rid of it, but there's a sense of not engaging with it because it's a jolly hard read. It's repetitive. It's got lots of baguette, 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 baguette. It's got lots of stuff there, and you think, why on earth should I read this? It's not easy. But I want you to understand that the Old Testament spans as much time, if not more time, from the life of Jesus to now. And if you had to read a condensed history of the church of Jesus Christ, you would find lots of stuff you didn't like. You'd like that during the Reformation, you got killed if you didn't like the singing. True, Christians did that. You'd read about Christians who killed because they wanted to retake Jerusalem. You'd read about Christians who killed each other during the fighting between Catholics and Protestants, even to this day. So the history in the Old Testament is condensed. We don't know a lot of this stuff because we don't teach it. But it's condensed history. And yeah, Israel got it wrong. They got it badly wrong at times. And stuff they said about God and thought about God was just plain wrong. And we've got to read the story and accept by faith that the God who created the world said, love me with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. And the 613 laws that were written there were written so that they could love, the, love their neighbor. They would know how to worship God. They would know how to be good citizens. And did they keep them? No. But there was a group of people that tried to make them keep it. And they'd tick the box if you could keep it. But you kept it on the outside of your life and not inside. But there were the faithful ones. So our second point today is saying, read it through Jesus and we will live it through him. 
That's the only way. But we need to read it. We need to read it looking forward to him. Ask the question, why on earth is this story in the Bible? What is going on? And I'd like to spend a lot of time today to tell you why some of those bizarre stories are there. Because it's pointing to Jesus and Matthew 1 actually highlights why a lot of those stories are there. Except we don't read Matthew 1 because it's all begat, 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 begat. But behind every name listed in Matthew 1, there's a story of the promise of God unfolding. Isn't that amazing? So... We keep the law through following Jesus. Now, the next lesson, lesson number three, is pretty simple. Lesson number one, look to Jesus. He's center. Lesson number two, look to Jesus means following him through the law, the Torah. Following Jesus really means following Jesus. You got that? If you don't take anything else away today, I want you to take that because that's as simple as it is. Following Jesus really means following Jesus. But guess what? I can't do it. And nor can you. And nor can anyone. Listen to what Jesus says in verse 19. Therefore, anyone who sets aside one of the least of these commands and teaches others accordingly will be called the least in the kingdom of God, kingdom of heaven. But whoever practices and teaches these commands will be great in the kingdom of heaven. For Jesus, the real Torah, the real law is permanent. And he teaches it, he taught it, and he lives it, and he lived it. He teaches us through us, he lives it through us. And his way and his will and God's way for us is to live the Torah, to live the law through us. Looking at Jesus, we discover if we read these Sermon on the Mount and more and more will unfold, the next two sessions are on how Jesus read the Bible, okay? Read the scriptures. They'll unfold it a little bit more. Today, we're looking at the seriousness of it and what he calls us to do. So when we look at Jesus, it's about behavior. It's about morals. It's about ethics. Following Jesus actually means following and obeying and living out his commandments. It's not ticking a box and say, today I smiled at the lady, I was kind. Today I didn't lose my temper, tick the box. Jesus actually says over and over again, and Paul with him when he writes, he said, you can't do that. You can't live it out. Danny, when he led us in this series, he talked about the heart. Remember? It starts in the heart, not on the outward. The heart is the source of our goodness, of values or ethics, and what's there comes out. Jesus actually said, it's not what goes in our mouth that defiles us, it's what comes out of our mouth, out of our hands. The prophets talked about Jesus giving us a new heart, and that's what I read the day when I finally discovered that Jesus loved me, I loved him, and that I could be his disciple. He promised in Ezekiel 36 that he would give me a new heart, a soft heart, 
a heart of flesh. He'd put his spirit within me and he would take away this hard heart. How grateful I was that day. And I read the whole book of Ezekiel because I thought it was such a wonderful way that God spoke. But you know, out of my heart comes the cheating, the stealing, the lying, putting myself before God and others, no matter how hard I try to be different. I live with the ugliness of who I am inside and not with the beauty of a God who desires what God, the beauty that God desires me to be. I fail to love God with all of me and I fail to love my neighbor as myself. So constantly I am asking God to examine my heart, to keep changing the hardness of my heart, to exchange it. And we are saying, give me your heart, God. Give me your heart, an exchanged life, a soft heart. That's the prayer. We actually say, um, invite Jesus to come into your heart. You heard that language? We don't use it very much anymore. But when we actually say that, we're inviting him to come in and live within us and to change us. And he actually does. And he comes in and he gives himself to us through his spirit. Far more than we ever dreamed possible. We live the life that pleases God. God himself, creator of the universe, the one in all the promises are fulfilled. He comes and he lives within us. And according to the scriptures, this is the beauty part, he writes his law on our hearts. And we can live the Torah through Jesus because his law is written. It was promised by Jeremiah and reiterated by the writer to the Hebrews. And it says this, a long time ago, this is the covenant I will establish with the people of Israel, my people, the people of God, says the Lord. I will establish it after that time. I will put my laws in their mind and I'll write it on their hearts. I will be their God and they will be my people. These are the people who can call themselves people of God, the ones who've got the law of God written on their heart and in their minds, and they live it out. We, we can follow Jesus because we're Jesus' followers. We can follow Jesus, who he is, what he teaches, what he does, who he is, and what he does with the law and prophets. There's a little bit there about the greatest and the least that I just need to comment on. The least in the kingdom of God and the greatest in the kingdom of God. Now, I just want to say in the kingdom of heaven or the kingdom of God, there's no hierarchy. This is a Hebraic idiom. It's how they talked. And Danny introduced to this language about those who are in the kingdom and those who are out of the kingdom. And so instead of Jesus actually saying to the Pharisees, which he says in a minute, in a few other places, you're not in the kingdom if you don't follow me and fulfill the scripture. He calls them the least, even though they were considered the greatest in the eyes of the world. So the ones who are in the kingdom, who have the Jesus heart with the law written on their heart, are the greatest. And the ones who are outside the kingdom are the ones who have 
the literal standard of trying to obey, trying to obey, trying to do the right thing, trying to follow God, all the stuff of the shoulds and oughts and stuff in their life. They're the least because they haven't learned to have a soft heart and to live from the heart. Uh, so following Jesus really means following Jesus. And we're in or we're out. Lesson four. We are challenged to be better than non-followers. You got that? We're actually challenged by Jesus to be better than those who are non-followers of Jesus. Now, I could tell you some beautiful stories, and you read them all the time, of wonderful people who do great things. And we are called to do and be better. Jesus said this, I tell you, I tell you, unless your righteousness surpasses that of the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, you will certainly not enter the kingdom of heaven. This verse was the greatest shock to the audience that they could have had. It was shocking. And yet, it had a glimmer of hope and light and possibility. Everyone knew among the Jewish people in those days that the Pharisees and the uh, laws, teachers of the law, were the greatest in the kingdom of Judah, in the Jewish world, because their career was, one, to discover how to get righteous, to teach how to get righteous, to look at the law and to make sure that every single one of the Jewish people did it what to carry, what to eat, what to wear, how far you could walk, how you could do this and what you could do that. And they had it all written down. And they taught it. And here the people are being told, unless your righteousness surpasses theirs, you won't enter. What a shock. What on earth do we have to do? But a glimmer of hope. Because the greatest in the kingdom of God are the followers of Jesus. And that's where we come to today. What's it all about? Grace. Grace. Jesus has made it possible. Grace, love, comes before obedience. And my exchanged heart, my soft heart, that produces the love, the kindness. As we give ourselves to him, he comes within. And we take on the character of Jesus. At through the transformation of the spirit within and all the parts of ourselves, our mind, our body, our soul, our spirit are organized around God. So every part of us is being restored and sustained by him. We're going to that ideal end, that spiritual transformation of Christ takes us and helps us become more and more like him. And the result is, as we learn to love God and to love our neighbor, we ourselves are transformed. It's living the Jesus dream and his desire for us. Jesus says the sum of the law 
He says, I fulfilled it. Live in his grace, love well, be salt, be light. And others will thirst for Jesus. Others will see your good works and glorify God so that in everything you do, do to others what you would have them do to you. For this sums up the law and the prophets. Jesus said, I come to fulfill. Paul wrote, Jesus fulfilled every requirement of the law. And this is what he also wrote in Romans 13. And this is my invitation to you. This is the invitation that God gives to you today. Nothing more. Not a list of do, 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 do. But love, love. For I tell you, for, for it says here from Romans 13, verses 8 to 10. Let no debt remain outstanding except the continuing debt to love one another. For whoever loves others has fulfilled the law. You want to fulfill the law? Love others. Love others. I was recently with one of the young girls from our church and uh, I'd forgotten that she didn't like certain foods and I put some in in front of her and she said, uh, I said, don't you like that? And she said, I'm not a fan of tomato. And then I said, something else, don't you like that? It's not my favourite, she said. And then she said to me, I don't use the word hate because it's not the language of God. That is a 10-year-old who's learning not to use that word hate. The call is to love. Let no debt remain outstanding except the continuing debt to love one another. For whoever loves others fulfills the law. The commandments, you shan't steal, you can't commit adultery, you shall not murder, you shall not steal, you shall not covet. I won't want to do that if I love well. If I love you, respect you. I won't want to do that. I might miss out now and then. I might miss the mark. But I go back. Love God. Love others. Whatever other commands there are may be summed up in this one command. Love your neighbor as yourself. Love does no harm to the neighbor. Therefore, love is the fulfillment of the law. And... We can't do this without Jesus living in us. Isn't that good? And he said that, and he will do that. And I want us to have that love feast today with Jesus, to know that he is the one who loves us, who calls us to be his. And we remember his love, and we take of the little bit of token bread here, to remember that he gave his life for us. He lives with us, he loves us, he enables us. And he is the one who says, love well, love me with all your heart because my love is unfailing, my love is unending, my love is unlimited. You can have it, all of it. Sit in his love and eat what he gives you. Thank you, Jesus. with him and drink remembering that he gave his sack life as a sacrifice so that we could love and enjoy and live in his kingdom and know 
everlasting love, to be loved, to be called the beloved. Sit with your beloved today and take and drink all of it, all of you.